Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Follow your dreams and if you have an ambition, go for it and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because actually if you really put your mind to it and work hard, it doesn't come easy. You have to be willing to put the hours in uh, and you can get there if you really go for it. Today I'm talking to Jean Llewellyn. Jean is a non-executive director for the Office for Nuclear Regulation and the World Institute for Nuclear Security. She lives in Stockport and in her free time loves traveling, whining and dining and mountaineering and cycling with her husband. Welcome Jean, it's lovely to see you. Hello, nice to see you as well Andy. So have you got a favorite walk or a favorite cycle route that you like to do? Well, all our favourite walking really is in the Lake District in Scotland. I was working in the lakes for 10 years, so we have a cottage up there still. So the northern fells of the Lake District we love because they're quieter and away from the main tourist routes. And then up in the northwest of Scotland would be our other favourite destination. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? So um, you actually grew up in Stockport, you were telling me earlier. Tell us, tell us what life was like as you were, you were growing up there, just south oh, of Manchester, really, isn't it? South of Manchester, yeah. I had a very fortunate childhood, lovely family, two older brothers that I got on well with and still get on really well with. And we all still live fairly close. A great mum and dad and they loved travelling, very close family. And we used to have lots of trips away and camping and hotels, all sorts of different things. Very happy time as a childhood. Oh, that's lovely. And, and what about school? How was that for you? Uh, school was perhaps a bit more mixed. My two brothers are both older than me and they both seemed to do really well at school. I was a young child, as in born at the end of July, so a young starter at school. And I struggled to get going, I would say would be my explanation of that. Uh, didn't like primary school at all, went to secondary school, just scraped through the then 11 plus, but ended up very much at the, the bottom end of a grammar school and a poor grammar school at that, I would say. And I remember always saying to my mum, it's not fair, my brothers are so much cleverer than me, they do so much better. And her words, it was when I was at the end of the second year and I was really not performing very well. And she sat me down and she said, Jean, my dear, as long as you are trying your best, that's all that matters. And she went out of the room and I suddenly thought, actually, I'm not trying my best. And it was the inspiration that switched something in my brain. And I suddenly thought, must try harder. And then ended up the last sort of five years at school, really, including the sixth form, really enjoying it and doing a lot better. Oh, isn't that lovely? Well, it's a great thing for a parent to say to a child, isn't it? You know, just try. I mean, that's what my school reports always said about me. Please try harder sort of thing. But it's a positive thing, actually. It was. And it wasn't try harder. It was as long as you know you're doing your best. No anger, yeah. no recriminations. And it, it certainly worked for me. 
Oh, that's really good. That's really good. So, so you're saying earlier, so therefore you started thinking about university. Secondary school I went to wasn't a hugely academic secondary school. So I went into the sixth form and did well in the sixth form. Both my brothers had gone to university. The school were very keen to have someone leaving sixth form and going to university. So there was a lot of pressure all round that that's what I should do. Um, so ended up going to Nottingham to do geography. Loved Nottingham as a place and the university, but the way of studying at university just didn't suit me at all. And I was very, very unhappy. The only time I would say in my life I've ever been really unhappy. Wow. So, so looking back on that, I mean, it is a big transition from school into university. And, and for a lot of people, the, tran the big transition is actually moving out and being on your own and independent and that side of things. But for you, it was a bit different, wasn't it, the challenge? It was. I mean, moving away from home was difficult, but I went to Nottingham where one of my brothers was. So actually, I had a support network there. For me, it was very much the style of studying and working because it had taken me a while to get going with studying and learning. Once I did, I very much needed a structure and boundaries and I needed to be recognised for what I achieved. And I found that at university, because it was if you went to a lecture, great. If you didn't, it didn't matter. Nobody really bothered. There was lots of free time studying. You were expected to research and do extra things. So I felt I could never finish my work because I could always go and study more, try harder. Um, and you never got the sort of ongoing, it sounds a bit pathetic, but I needed the ongoing praise and recognition to keep me going, keep me motivated. I was going to leave at the Christmas of the first year, but then everyone said that would look really bad if you did. So I stayed to the end of the first year, did well in my first year exams and was always going to go back until I stayed with a cousin of mine in the September, really unhappy. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, well, I just hate university. I don't know what I'm doing there. She said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to work in hotels because I'd been doing that as a part time job for year, years. And she said, well, do it then. Go to hospitality school instead. On the way home from her house, got off the bus, went into what was then Hollins College, went to see the head of department. And he said, you can start on Monday, uh, which I did. Left university, started at Hollins College. Best thing I ever did. It was an absolutely fantastic three year programme in hospitality management. Learned loads, practical, academic, mm -hmm. suited me down to the ground. And that was really the launch of a, a very enjoyable career. Oh, it's so lovely that your your cousin asked you, you know, how, what was wrong? And you had that opportunity to have yeah. that conversation, because otherwise, I guess you might have gone back and been even more unhappy in what was just the wrong place and the wrong it environment for you. Wrong place, wrong environment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So therefore you went into hotels and restaurants and hospitality and that whole world so that might surprise some people who know you more from the, the national skills academy for nuclear and you know yeah. non-exec director posts of, of the office for nuclear regulation and so on so tell us a little bit about that that world of hospitality and uh, and tourism and restaurants and all of that 
Well, I had a, a fantastic career working in the hospitality industry. I know a lot of people don't like it, but for me, it was perfect. I started at 15 part time in pubs, cafes, but well, not pubs at 15, cafes, restaurants, and then on to hotels. And working in hotels, you get a fantastic sense of excitement because people are there to enjoy themselves. So you always get that positive buzz from your work. You get the nasty customers who complain and things as well, but more people want to have a good time. I worked incredibly hard, but learned all the importance of customer care, looking after people, quality of service, attention to detail, all those sorts of things. I went over, well, I worked up in Scotland for a year, then I went over to Italy and worked there for nearly a year. I just saw how things operated in different places. And I think it's, I would actually, anybody that wants to work hard and does well in hospitality is worth employing because they have a very different work ethic to most people. So I've quite often since then employed people from the hospitality industry. Not brilliantly well paid, but when I was doing it, you got lots of tips if you were good. And I made a very good salary from my tips, which was very nice. So I'm pleased to see the latest regulation change that companies have got to give their employees their tips now. and The companies can't keep them, which is quite right. Mm -hmm. um, having done that for a few years, I'd always, I loved travel. My parents travelled a lot. We stayed in hotels. We went out for meals a lot. I'd always had a desire to be a hotel inspector and the opportunity came up to apply to the AA to become a hotel inspector. Uh, I applied twice actually. The first time I didn't get it. They said I was very near but I was too young. I needed more industrial experience but the man mm -hmm. said do apply again. It's a really good learning one this. Uh, apply again when you're a few years older if a vacancy comes up and one did come up, I reapplied and they had actually kept my application on file. So they were really pleased that I'd had the continuity and still wanted mm -hmm. to do the job. Uh, so was successful and I got a job for five years as a hotel inspector for the AA, based out of all places, mainly in Cumbria and the Lake District. <laughs> so had a fantastic patch to cover. I also yeah. did Manchester, Merseyside, some in London and the North East, but my main time was spent in Cumbria. So I had some wonderful experiences in some very fine hotels and restaurants, also in some less fine ones in some other areas. So you have the rough with the smooth. <laughs> again, it teaches you the importance of looking after people, attention to detail, customer yeah. care, all those sort of aspects. And yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess that sort of, I'm thinking about the difference between what you're doing at this point and how it felt at university. And it sounds like there was a lot more structure. You've used the phrase attention to detail, yeah. which clearly is how you think and having that structure and that focus really helped. It does. I am very structured and focused. I need to know what I'm doing, when, when it will need to be in by, when it will need to be finished. So actually working as a hotel inspector for me was quite good. You were given a, a sort of list of what you had to cover, where you had to go. Then you planned your week and I could plan in maximum number of visits. And then you reported in on those visits. Um, very organised lifestyle. And I find yes. if you do that, you can fit more into your day and then you can fit your social activities in on top as well. And you've still got the energy to do that. 
Oh, I could do with a lesson from you on that sort of time management. I must admit. You see, I'm the opposite of you. Um, I tend to be very unstructured unless I have to be. And um, having somebody organising my time, as I've been privileged to have, you know, when I was at NNL or at the university, has just been invaluable. Yeah. Because it is surprising what you can actually pack in when it's well structured. Yeah. You've got preparation time. You've got time for actions after meeting or whatever it happens to be you know so uh, yeah I think we all do need that bit of structure even if we realize it or not um so uh, you then um became a lecturer in, in yeah, hospitality um, and tourism management at uh, High Peak College in Buxton and then at, at Manchester Met University so tell us right. about that so I got married while I was a hotel inspector um I was away four nights a week. My husband worked in Manchester, so I'd get home on a Friday and want to just sit down and relax. And he'd want to go away walking and climbing in the hills. So it really didn't work. Some people managed it when they were married, but it didn't work for us. So decided education in hospitality would be a good move. Managed to get in at High Peak College. Just did a couple of years there, but was very fortunate that they put me through some development. I did what was then D32 and D33 training and assessor awards. Uh, then bumped into one of my old lecturers from MMU when it was before when it had been Hollins. And he said, oh, I hear you're lecturing at Buxton now. We have a vacancy at Manchester at MMU if you would like to apply. Uh, which I did and it was only part-time because I'd then got children so I then went and worked part-time at Manchester Metropolitan University doing all aspects of hotel management, food cooking, mm -hmm. food service, marketing, tourism, all those sorts of things. Fantastic career with a young family because I could work, I'd go down, I'd do six hours a week when they were little and then build it up. And towards the end, I was doing about 18, 20 hours lecturing a week, which right. is a lot more than most of the full time lecturers do. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your time management coming in, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and and I guess you, you had you were able then. I mean, you're now in a, in a university environment again, but sort of on the other side of the, the fence, as it were, as a, as a lecturer. But you could provide the structure that you needed and also that would give the best for the students, I guess. Yeah, and I think that was really important because a lot of students that go into hospitality, I think are probably similar to myself and they like that structured. I was probably quite an unusual university lecturer. I did know who came in my lectures and I did tell them off if they didn't turn up and they were like, how do you mean? And I marked homework, homework with a red pen. <laughs> Which I, I don't know if I'd get away with it now, but <laughs> I had some real successes, uh, you know, a few students that went through and have really achieved a huge amount in the hospitality industry since, which is fantastic yeah, to, to it's see. It's very rewarding, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So the next sort of step on your journey takes you into Northwest Tourist Board. So that was... So to set up a tourism skills network. So it was bringing together the hospitality industry with the universities. So it's using both sets of experience, hospitality and education. And it was all about trying to get the right training programs in place for hospitality staff and to drive up the amount of training and development that was undertaken across the sector. 
Um, that was just across the northwest. It was actually funded by the Northwest Development Agency. So it was a project that we were running and it was very successful. So I was actually then approached by the Director of Skills Policy at NWDA to say, actually, we really like this approach that you've done for tourism. Can you come in and look at doing skills development for sectors in the Northwest Development Agency? So although it sounds an extraordinary change, it was a logical step yeah. Uh, and it used all the skills from hospitality, from education and from being an inspector moving in and then putting that into a sector skills development approach. Yes. So started off looking after 18 key sectors, uh, included creative industries, obviously hospitality, retail, but then engineering, nuclear, all science based ones as well. And right. because of my affiliation with Cumbria, I ended up doing more and more with the nuclear industry. Yes, um, yes. And over time, the nuclear bit took over from everything else. Uh, and my boss retired and I then became head of skills policy development there, which was a, a good opportunity, but carried on with this very close link with Cumbria and the nuclear industry. Yes. And that, how did you sort of find that? You've now done it. It's a really interesting transition and journey. And the way you've explained it, it, it sort of all makes sense to, to to people listening to this. You can see how the different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle have come together uh, in, in this way. But one of the things that will have changed is you've moved more from the sort of hands on delivery side of things, the day to day through into the sort of leadership and the strategic longer term perspective that you need as a sort of, you know, uh, you know, a director or even a chief executive that was to come. Did you find that an easy transition? I found it a really interesting transition, helped by various factors. One was my father, who was, a, he at the time, it's quite a few years ago this now, when I was a child, he'd always been very much, just because you're a woman, don't let anybody put you off doing what you want to do. You are as good as any man. You are as good as anybody. When I was a child, it was when I was in my teens. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a real sense of confidence that you should go for and reach out for your own aspirations and ambitions. So whenever I had any doubts, he was always there in my mind, pushing me forward and making me believe in myself, which is really, really positive. And I then had a, the director of skills policy at NWDA, Fran Holbert, inspirational leader. And she really showed me how to be a good leader, I hope, uh, and coached me, put me on a lot of leadership development programs. And she was a fantastic mentor, very much that you lead by example. You need to be respected. You need to be willing to do what anybody else would do. But you don't need to take credit for it. Give credit to your team and that you succeed through your team. She yes. really was an amazing lady who set me on the, the road to getting into senior management very successfully. Yeah, that's 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 really good to have that advice and, and quality and clarity of, of advice because you are. You know, you are managing a team, you are looking ahead beyond the next thing that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and you are very much delivering what you need to deliver through other through people. Them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
But I also like what you said about always being prepared to do anything that needs doing. Yeah, you can't expect other people to do something you won't do. And that comes from my early days. I have been a chambermaid. I've cleaned toilets. I don't want to do it again, but it taught me <laughs> I, I'm not above anything. You know, we're all you have to do what needs to be done, don't you? Yeah. You do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that sort of journey then, as you said, you're spending more time in Cumbria, more time with nuclear and, and then the National Skills Academy for Nuclear is formed and you become the CEO of that. Yeah. So so that came about the nuclear industry was actually facing very similar challenges to the hospitality industry 15 years before. Uh, there wasn't a collaborative approach to training. There wasn't enough training and development. The nuclear industry had been fragmented. It used to be BNFL. And once it got fragmented, the training and development got fragmented. And um, we had a big conference in West Cumbria when the industry came together and everybody said, we need to do something. I was the one from NWDA. It was like, Jean, go and get us some funding, which I did. And then there was a small steering group formed with David Bonzer as chair to look at what we could do. And this whole concept of a skills academy was developed. So I was very much as an NWDA employee. I wrote the business plan for the National Skills Academy for Nuclear with an industry team. We submitted the bid and it was successful. I'd never intended to run the organisation. I was just accessing the funding to get it started and develop the model. When it was approved and we went out to employ people, the board said, well, you will be applying for, we put in place a shadow board, you'll be applying for the job of CEO, won't you? And I was like, well, no, I don't know the, you know, I'm not a nuclear person. I'm not a nuclear engineer. And David Bonds' advice was, we need someone that can run a small business, that can motivate people and can work with government. We, your board, will provide the nuclear expertise. What we need you to do is run this small business and work with government. Uh, so I applied and the biggest mistake I'd ever made, I'd put in place the selection procedure, uh, recruitment and selection. I've put this really <laughs> difficult two-day assessment centre in train, which I then have to go for, go through. And when I first went to it, I wasn't convinced I wanted to take the risk of going from a big government organisation to a little tiny body that would be very fragile until I got to the interview and saw the other four men that had been shortlisted. And I was like, they're not running my skills academy. So I then went at it absolutely hell for leather, determined to get the job, which I did. Uh, and it just a great experience running the Skills Academy. Fantastic small team who have just worked wonders for the nuclear industry and together. Uh, I did 10 years as CEO. I left four years ago, 14 years. It's still going. Not many National Skills Academies have managed to keep going in that way, but it's developed and changed and adapted to meet the needs at the time. Yes, that's right. And, and it's and it's really meaningful. Again, it's it's touching real people and making a real difference. I'm thinking about things like the skills passport. We were talking earlier about some of the work that you've done, uh, you know, with with, uh, with winds in terms of nuclear yeah. security and so on. And um, it makes a real difference to real people. It does. And I mean, the biggest pride we all have from the Skills Academy is the annual 
UK Nuclear Skills Awards. Just such a fantastic event. And it started off small and now it's, you know, it's like the Oscars of nuclear. And the number <laughs> of young people I come across who've gone through there and who've won awards and you see what they're achieving now really is inspirational. And that does yep, tie absolutely. in very well to the work at WINS, where, again, it's encouraging people to get professionalised, develop the right competencies and make the nuclear industry a successful career. And and you've also brought in, again, it's a sort of structured approach to yeah, that, isn't it? Definitely, yes. Put in place yeah. a structure that people can follow and see. Same yeah. with the careers, see a career map. Um, and people talk about futures and planning. I like to have an aim and an ambition. When I finished full-time at the Skills Academy, an ambition was always to become a non-exec director. Um, so I did WINS first and then been very pleased to be appointed onto the board of the Office for Nuclear Regulation. And it fits because I lead for security. So it fits in with the WINS work and is a logical, logical next step. Yeah. That, and that's really nice and positive, isn't it? That natural next step. And, yeah. and how do you find being a non-executive director as compared with an executive director? Because, again, you're sort of one step behind the sort of hard edge if you know what I mean. It's a very interesting transition and it takes a bit of getting used to because I'm a doer so I'm used to having something a task needs doing I get on and do it or get someone else to do it with this it's much more suggesting ideas counselling challenging but it's not actually up to you to go and make sure it happens so uh, yeah quite an interesting change I think it, I couldn't have done it 10 years ago. I wouldn't have been in the right place. But I think you get to a stage in life when you've got enough experience to look at that bigger picture. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I'm going to take you back a little bit. I'm just wondering whether there would be one piece of advice that you'd like to give your younger self if you could. I think it's really the advice that my dad gave to me, follow your dreams. And if you have an ambition, go for it. And don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because actually, if you really put your mind to it and work hard, it doesn't come easy. You have to be willing to put the hours in uh, and you can get there if you really go for it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really great. And I love what your mum said to you as well. Try your best. Yeah, definitely. Very important. <laughs> And that whole thing of treating everybody with respect. Everybody has a, a value and never think you're better than anybody else. You know, we're all important. Every cog in the wheel makes things turn round, doesn't it? And you just have to value all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're right there. And part of that, I suppose, is is valuing yourself. And, and you know, as, as you discovered on your journey, realising that some things are not for everybody, some things are, don't yeah. fit you and they do fit, you know, um, other people, but then being comfortable in your own skin about yeah. that. And being happy to put to leave university when you're doing well is actually very hard. Yeah. Um, and being able to go through that, my parents, as you can imagine, were quite shocked at first, but because of the people they were, they just embraced that. But initially they were like, you've done what? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah you have to have that comfort and I think that mm -hmm. taught me so much about if it's not right for you don't push it but find the next thing first don't jump before you've got your next step take time <laughs> to plan it so I think that would be my advice absolutely that's great and look Jean thank you so much not just for what you've done for our sector and other sectors of course as we've heard um, but also what you're doing now and what you'll be doing in the future. You, you've made a massive impact and I mean our sector wouldn't be where it is in many ways and a lot of the people wouldn't be where they are now unless you'd taken that those steps on your journey and done the right thing for you. So thank you. Thank you very much. Very good to speak to you Andy and I think this is an excellent initiative to inspire young people to keep going onwards and upwards. I hope so. Jean, thank thanks you. so much. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.